Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 47 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is one of the most versatile and successful players in poker, whether it's online, live, cash games, tournaments, and now entrepreneurship with his new app, Floptimal. He's maybe best known for his runner-up finish to Greg Merson in the 2012 WSOP main event for $5.3 million. But since then, he's collected another $2.4 million in cashes, including a WPT title. But besides the on-felt accolades, he's also known for being one of the nicest and most genuine people in the game. Jesse Sylvia, welcome to the Card Chat Podcast. Thanks, man. That was a really kind intro. Well earned. Well, <laughs> well, well earned. That's for sure. You don't make an intro like that, you know, unless, you know, you've really been around for a while and everyone really does feel that way. I remember when I first met you in person a few years ago at uh, WPT Tournament Champions, just like, wow, the nicest guy in the world. We never really met before. And you're just like, really, this is my girlfriend. Ashley is like, wow, <laughs> more people <laughs> like that. It was really, really cool of you and uh, certainly a well-deserved reputation. Nice to speak to you again. Thank you. Yeah, great to talk to you again. Cool. Thank you. Um, well, as uh, with all of us, you know, obviously the, the past year and a half or so, we were kind of forced away, not just from poker, but our regular lives uh, as we know them. Things, thankfully, are now getting closer to normal. You know, everything's returning. And of course, you jumped right back into the poker scene. How, how excited have you been to sort of return to action in Vegas, which has really been booming the last couple of months? Yeah, I've been having tons of fun. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I just missed people. And one nice thing about playing poker is, you know, you inevitably see all of your friends that you haven't seen. Um, it's like normal, I guess, people with regular lives and regular jobs. I don't know what a regular job means, so maybe that's not a thing. But, but you know, like the nine to five type of job. Yeah, yeah like exactly. you'll see all of your coworkers, but like, you know, you'll have to like call up friends and organize dinners or whatever. And sure. it's like, I can see a lot of friends that I might not have otherwise seen by just walking to a casino and bumping into them. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the tournaments have been great. They're, I mean, they're breaking um, these guarantees in the first flight sometimes of like a four day one flight turn. It's nuts wow. right now. Wow. Yeah. And then the city itself also kind of like just really coming back to life. Uh, I mean, is it, do you know it? I mean, you've been living in Vegas for a while, you know, is it back to the way it was before, you know, things went crazy? Yeah, yeah. It feels very much back to normal. Um, awesome. It's it's crowded. Uh, I, I remember the first day they announced we could take our masks off if we were vaccinated. Uh, I'd been vaccinated for a few weeks already anyways, right. but um, it was just, a, there were still dividers up, but it felt very, very awkward yeah. to take my mask off <laughs> in the casino. I mean, I... You know, keep in mind, I'd been in a casino like twice before I got vaccinated and it right. was literally just to pick up money from someone at the or whatever. I was uh -huh. I was pretty locked down. Um, and so that felt weird. And then like the next week they took down the glass dividers and all of a sudden it felt very normal. Again. Yeah, that was kind of nice. For sure. I had uh, had the good pleasure to visit back in April, you know, certain you know, with the plexiglass everywhere with the masks. And it was still pretty cool. You know, I have to say I hadn't been to a casino in quite a while, but it didn't, it certainly didn't feel normal by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, it's the kind of thing, like you said, you take it off, you strip all that stuff away and like, oh, okay, you know, that, that, that does feel pretty cool. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, you haven't just enjoyed yourself. You've, you've seen some pretty, you know, some, some, some success. You know, you had three five-figure caches uh, just in the last couple months since coming back, uh, you know, run to 21st place in the win millions for just under 85K. Um, you know, we heard a lot of great things. So just universally positive feedback about that event. Um, you know, what was it like for you and what, what kind of made that new event, uh, the win millions, so special? Um, that event was just really, really well run. Every little detail was they just put a lot of, you could just tell that they put a lot of time and effort uh, into the detail of it. For instance, this is a very small thing, but when you notice things like this, I feel like, um, you know, you, it, it, it speaks for the whole tournament and how they, how well they organize it. Mm -hmm. um, all the payouts were 
So, so normally a pay jump is, you know, some multiple of nine, if you're playing nine handed tables. So like 36, 27, 45, whatever. Right. Um, they did it one player below that. So they did 44, 35. Um, the reason for that is that now you have even tables right before the pay jump. So that if somebody's on like somebody's really short and somebody's on another table and they're really short, um, maybe one of those two guys has a table that's shorter handed. So they have to pay the blinds more often. Right. It's a very, very small thing, but it's something that's, um, if you think about it mathematically, it's just like, it makes a lot of sense. It's really intuitive uh, and nobody does it. Wow. And those are like the little things that you notice. You're like, wow, these guys really went above and beyond planning this out. They had, uh, they had no dinner breaks for the first few days and they would just play a couple less levels and we would just be done at like eight 30 or nine. And if you had a dinner break for like an hour, then you get like two more levels in. And it's really like for two more levels, you could just let people do their own dinner. Right. And just like go about their lives for the night and actually get some sleep for the next day. It was those <laughs> sort of things are huge for me. I, I really like that kind of stuff. Huh, that's interesting. That's so funny because, like, you know, I'm, I'm not a professional player, and that's you know not something I would necessarily pay attention to. Like, whatever the structure is, great. But obviously, it's something that professionals who grind these tournaments all the time would, you know, certainly appreciate. Was that kind of like a topic of discussion at the tables about, like, hey, this is pretty awesome, or just something? Yeah, kind you of on your own. No, it was it was a bit of a topic of discussion. Actually, I think day one we did have a dinner break, and then starting day two we didn't have a dinner break. Mm -hmm. um, but nobody complained about day one because they gave us uh, everyone who played the tournament got to use the win buffet for dinner nice. break and they hadn't even opened it yet. So it was like <laughs> the first time it was used in two years was for these poker players. Um, but yeah, it was uh, like things like that definitely get discussed. I, I think that um, like that, that it just goes a long way because when you go deep in these tournaments, you play these five day tournaments, um, you, you get really tired. Uh, you have a lot of adrenaline and it's hard to sleep and it's nice to have the extra hours to wind down. So when you have a restart at 12 o'clock and you go to bed at one o'clock, really you're going to bed. Like if you get done for the night, at like 1230, you're not going to bed till like two. Right. Um, you wake up a little groggy and out of it. Uh, so if you have the opportunity to go to bed at like 1030 or at least try to like wind down at 1030, that's pretty massive, especially, you know, day three or four when you're like really starting to feel the anxiety and the adrenaline and stuff like that. Hmm. More, um, more I, I'm really bad at I'm really bad at getting enough sleep during tournaments so <laughs> I just get way too excited when I'm deep at a tournament so I, it's these things matter a lot to me especially for sure and you know in, in a game and in a time in poker where every little edge every little bit matters uh you know you got to get you got to get that sleep and, and be you know full on your full on your a game the next morning uh, when play starts afternoon um you know obviously you know that's not the only place uh, you played not the only tournament you played has all of this kind of like, it's funny because in a regular summer, in a regular year, this would be WSOP time. It's not, but still there's just, like you said, the city's thriving, poker's doing very well, tournaments everywhere. Have all of these tournaments kind of like got you itching for the WSOP? Have you planned out your schedule and you know, maybe take a couple shots? Like, uh, what are you going to do in the fall? You know, I haven't done a ton of planning for tournaments. I've been just so busy working on other projects and then also firing tournaments and you know, just working with people on their poker game and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. uh, I generally find that I, I'm happier and I perform better when I just wake up every day, look at the schedule. I'm like, all right, I'll play this tournament and just show up and play it. When I, when I've planned it out, uh, I feel this pressure to play something every day and rather than, you know, just take a day off or hmm. um, maybe skip something. Cause the next day is this other tournament. And I just, uh, it, it, you just, there's so many tournaments during the summer that it's nice to have kind of a free flowing plan, at least for me. Okay. Um, I, I have friends uh, or, I mean, Ashley is a good example. My fiance, she, mm -hmm. she really plans out her whole schedule and that works better for her. I just uh -huh. find for me that I like waking up and just saying, Oh, this is the tournament today. All right, let's do it. Right. And I kind of do that now too, but it's, it's worse to do it now because tournaments are at different casinos. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I wake up and I'm like, Ashley, what's the best tournament to play? And she's like, you should go play this one. <laughs> awesome. I think she's secretly getting me to play the one that she's not in. 
Aha, I see. You know? <laughs> well, you're, you're carpeting the DM. Well, that's pretty cool. We'll talk a little bit with Ashley uh, later on in the show. But like you said, there's other stuff uh, you were working on besides just, you know, playing. You got Floptimal, you know, obviously without uh, live poker for the bulk of the last year. You did play some online, but a large amount of your time was kind of creating this new poker training app. Um, it's called Flaptimal. Why don't you go ahead and tell uh, everyone listening and watching, uh, you know, how the idea for it uh, came to fruition and what exactly this app is all about. Okay, so for like, I don't know, a year and a half, two years, um, I had a lot of questions about the pre-flop game tree and what you're, uh, I'm going to say the word like supposed to do, but that's kind of a loose way to say it. Um, basically, like what, what, uh, like game theory dictates that you do in a vacuum, right? Because a lot of poker is adjusting to the players around you and stuff, but, but there's a starting point that you adjust from, right? And um, that would be like, maybe we'll call it like the Nash equilibrium or whatever. Uh, but it's, there's a, there's a very clear cut starting point that you want to start from and then you adjust from there. And that's, that's kind of like the correct play. Um, and I had a lot of questions about, you know, how, how light can we peel from the big blind? Because I wasn't really sure that's actually a figuring out river play. If you know, generally players ranges is quite easy. Uh, you could do it, you know, with a spreadsheet or you could do it by hand if you wanted to, but figuring out preflop is quite difficult because you have to work your way backwards. Um, and it's a very, it's a complex equation, right? Um, so when we started studying uh, like kind of like the GTO preflop game tree, uh, there was a few, uh, I guess, like a few companies that sold the information. Uh, a lot of times the information was super, super expensive. Um, and it was, we didn't really like the interface. It wasn't uh, great as a study tool. I would kind of take the information and then uh, re-submit uh, it on different spreadsheets so I could view it differently and stuff like that. Um, and so we were having this conversation uh, with a friend of ours, Shireen, who uh, is very talented in the computer science world. And she was like, well, you know, what would the ideal study tool look like? And we just started talking about it. And then we just started discussing like the viability of actually making it as a product because there's plenty of people like us who want something similar. Um, and so this is kind of the, you know, final product of what we really wanted as a study tool and what we felt like was missing in the poker world uh, to study poker with um, what, what it is right now is it's a it's sort of like a simulator for all of the preflop situations so you can input um, you know a situation and see what it'll spit out a range and I'll say like you know you should re-raise these sort of hands and you should call these sort of hands um, and then we accompanied it with a bunch of different study tools that compares different ranges or compares how a hand would play you know maybe in this situation you're on 25 big blinds but you want to see do we still play this hand this way on 30 big blinds or 40 big blinds and so on and so forth. Um, so we, we create a lot of tools that show, we call it like the edges of playability for a hand. Mm. Maybe you play a hand from the cutoff on 30 bigs, but you don't play it um, on the hijack or you don't play it on the hijack on 25 big blinds or right. something like that. Um, and we created these visual representations of it that are easy to remember because you just kind of see this nice little line going down of like where the hand stops being playable. Mm -hmm. um, those things mattered a lot to us because a lot of us are visual learners yeah. and also it's just putting the information side by side is difficult to do normally we wanted a way to do it very easily cool so and so i guess you were just working on the visual interface like what, at what point do you sort of say to yourself you know obviously any sort of app any sort of program takes a long time to develop at what point do you sort of say we're ready this is this is a tool that's you know ready for market. Yeah, true. I don't know. We, I mean, we. I think we were working on it, and we kept trying to perfect more and more things. And eventually, someone in the group was like, "You know, we should put a launch date mm -hmm. just to give ourselves a deadline, uh -huh. because otherwise, we're just going to keep trying to perfect this thing." Okay. I think that's. I've, I've read a few books on uh, startups in the tech space, and uh, they, they talk a lot about just putting out the. It's they call it the MVP. It's the minimum viable product. Uh -huh, sure. But the idea is that people try to, people get obsessed with, you know, putting out a perfect product. 
because they've seen a lot of businesses uh, that are already like, let's say you, you know, you start up a store, right. And like maybe a shoe store, um, you want everything to be kind of perfect because you're copying a model that already exists. Right. But in the tech space, you're often disrupting things that, you know, sectors uh, with something that doesn't exist. Right. So you really want to get out the product as quickly as possible so you can get feedback because this has not been done before. You want to, you know, you want to, <laughs> you want to hear what people think about it and what you know needs to be changed and stuff like that. So right. striving for, for perfection is actually kind of silly when we don't even know what perfection is on anything. Got it. Okay. Who would I don't you know. So, so oh, sorry, that was a long that. answer. No, uh, just, that was a long answer to a, to a simple question, but yeah, we, we eventually just decided like we need to put this out there and see what people think and get feedback. Yeah, it makes sense. That's what I'm saying. Like the long answer is like I'm, I'm familiar with that feeling of look, it's your baby. You know, you've been working, investing so much time, effort, and I understand that desire for it to be perfect. I think that's sort of where it came from. Is like, well, how do you know? So it's interesting to sort of hear that, you know, behind the scenes kind of like discussion and, and thought process. Um, who is your uh, who's your app for? Is it for? cash game players, tournament players, novices, you know, experts, pros, like you know, who's the target audience? Yeah. So right now it's for tournament players. Um, all the ranges are based on tournament structures. There's okay. an ante involved. Um, we have uh, the stack sizes go from six big blinds all the way up to 75 big ones. Mm -hmm. um, but we're actually in the works right now on running a simulation so that we have the cash game ranges we want to do. We'd like to do 100 big blinds deep and 200 big blinds deep cash games ranges, and then um, also do the same ones, but with an ante, uh, because a lot of cash games lately have started adding an ante, which I'm a big fan of. Okay. But yeah, it's uh, one thing that we really focused on was uh, not making this app just usable by experienced poker pros who you know, already know a lot of this stuff. We wanted to make it for everyone in poker and. Mm it's there's a huge barrier of entry to learning certain things about poker because these these solvers are unbelievably difficult to use right. when you start out um, and so we wanted to take the information and make it as easy to view and as easy to use as possible and i think we really achieved that the ui is really really nice really easy to use really it's just uh super uh elegantly mm -hmm. I, I'm, bra I'm bragging for the design side of it because I wasn't a part of the design side of it. I, mean, I, was, I, I, I had input, but you know, I'm not responsible. I'm not a designer sure. or anything like that. Sure. Um, but I just really love the final product. And awesome. Oh, really sounds... nice to, it's, it's, it's nice to use, which is um, maybe not true of a lot of uh, programs out there. Okay, well, that's, it's obviously user interface is so important. I think I just uh, yeah. saw a little, I think there's CNBC documentary about how, uh, Microsoft uh, Office product and in, in, in Windows sort of developed, you know, not to get off track, but like, you know, the whole the whole thing is it, it's just DOS, but like it's a much better interface and people can actually use it. It's said, oh, this makes sense. This makes sense. Obviously, uh, all that time and effort is so important. It could be a great product, but people have to be able to, to use it. Um, you know, speaking of use it, using it, one person I know who used it, um, Brad Owen, in a, in a recent vlog, he was playing in the WPT 25K heads up down in Cabo, um, you know, and he talks about how you two guys connected for some study sessions with Floptimal. So what was it like working with him? Oh, it's great. Uh, Brad's a friend of mine. It wasn't even like a official working with him thing. It was just, oh, okay. I, I was talking to him and, he, he was like, you know, I'm a little nervous. I'm playing Daniel, who's obviously phenomenal at poker and yeah, strong Boris, as a player. Right, right. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, do you have some study resources? And he was like, not, you know, not enough. And so I sent him some stuff and we talked back and forth a little bit, but um, yeah, we, we, um, we hang out a good bit. So we inevitably talk about poker a lot. <laughs> oh, without um, that, he just, you know, would have been clean swept two to zero, but he managed to get one win in there, two out of three <laughs> uh, that he lost. But uh, that's pretty cool. I'm glad you had uh, fun with it. Were you also down there in uh, Mexico helping that, or it was all like uh, virtual sessions? No, I was actually on my way out to Lake Mead when we were talking about it. It was cool. kind of funny. So I was like, you know, this conversation might just abruptly end at some point when I lose service. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I was I was on a boat that day. Nice, 
Okay, very cool. Your partner in Flaptimal, when you say we, you know, we developed uh, Russell Thomas. He was actually at the final table with you at the 2012 main event. He finished fourth uh, for $2.8 million. How cool, again, we'll take you back a little bit, uh, you know, it's man, almost a decade, but you know, how cool was it to have your friend at the final table with you? Um, and how long had you known each other at that point in time? Oh, that was so wild. Uh, making that final table is one of the more surreal experiences in my <laughs> life because I knew three people uh, at the final table ahead crazy. of time. That's yeah, crazy. well, I, Greg and I and Jeremy and I both played like every day at the Bellagio. Jeremy actually lives, lives in Vegas, so I play with him for the last year and a half at mm -hmm. the Bellagio every day. Uh, Greg would come in the summer and play at the Bellagio every day when he wasn't mm -hmm. playing tournaments. And there were He's like 6,700 entries, something like that, that year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Russell and I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Russell and I making the final table is wild because we were roommates two years earlier. Um, we spent every day during the main event, uh, every dinner break, we would have dinner together and stuff. Wow. So that was like, a, I mean, I knew a lot of people at that point in the poker world, so it's not, you know, if I, if, if somebody like Greg or Jeremy had made the final table with me, I'd be like, okay, the odds aren't you know, astronomical, but the fact that the guy I was having dinner with every night, I mean, it, it was nuts. Wow. That's yeah. obvious. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, his, his presence there doesn't impact how either of you played, but I mean, once it gets down to like the final five, four people, I mean, do you guys, do you remember how both of you, or maybe you talked about it on dinner break the night before, how you guys were feeling emotionally at that point? Yeah, I think, I think more we discussed like hands and stuff. Often when you're feeling emotional about a tournament, mm -hmm. um, for me at least, a lot of the emotions come from feeling unsure about my play. Mm. Uh, at some point, because if I feel really good about my play, I don't usually feel that emotional. I just feel confident and I want right. to get in there and, and do my best. Um, obviously I'm, I'm excited and I don't know what's going to happen. So I do have those emotions running through me, but, uh, you know, we would do more like hand history discussions at dinner. Mm -hmm. And those always made me feel better because if you like the hand, you know, I think Russell's really, really smart. So usually if he agrees with the hand, I feel a little bit better about it. You should partner with him and like create an app or something. Maybe one day. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. I mean, obviously, uh, a pivotal moment, you know, in anyone's life, in a finishing runner-up, biggest tournament in the world, main event, $5.3 million. Um, you know, because I, I hate to phrase it in such a way, but at the end of the day, Merson finished first, he won the bracelet. Do you still kind of have that? I mean, you know, very few people can, just as few people can say they finished runner-up in the main event as they did, you know, winner. Do you have still a little bit of a you know monkey on your back as far as I want to win a bracelet? Um, I definitely want to win a bracelet. I've been firing all of these online events mm -hmm. um, that have been happening. There's for people who don't know, there's a, an online bracelet series happening right now. So every day there's a there's an online event. WSIP.com. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, my buddy last night won it. Ryan Lang. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, that was great. Cool. So yeah, I've been firing all those. I definitely want to win a bracelet. I think. I think when I won Borgata, a lot of that monkey out my back sort of thing disappeared because I don't know. I, I at that point I just never won a live tournament, and mm -hmm. so I, I wanted to win a live tournament. I had a okay. lot of like seconds and thirds and stuff like right. that. But I'm generally pretty good about. I, I understand how lucky I've been in my career to some extent. I understand that you know there are certain opportunities that came from that, that like people will never get to experience. And, and honestly, like those don't even exist for a lot of American players anymore. Like some of the sponsorship stuff that happened afterwards. Right. Um, so it's not, it's never been, I mean, I'm frustrated when I get like third in a tournament and I had chip lead or something like that, but like, it's never been like a huge, a huge issue to me. Mm -hmm. um, I also, I don't know. I, I got into poker because I love games. And I found a game where you can, you know, win money or make money at it. Um, and for a long time, I never felt like the quintessential poker player. I was just a guy who loved poker that kind of was in this world. But over the years now, I've become more and more of like a poker player where a lot of my friends, I mean, most of my friends out here are poker players. Mm -hmm. um, but especially at the time, I was 
I felt more of like kind of a, a outsider who was just sort of making his way into like the total poker world and knowing mm. more people. So it, it didn't feel like, um, it didn't feel like me not being the champion was, was a big deal. Like it felt very, like Greg was a perfect champion. Was you know, he, he embodied poker. Yeah, yeah. It was, that felt very right to me. So that was always kind of a thing, but yeah, I mean, after having won a couple of tournaments, I do, I do feel slightly better. Good. Well, I mean, you could uh, <laughs> kind of, uh, kind of predict, you know, the next question here, we we're going to talk obviously about the WPT Borgata. You do have a, uh, you know, a WPT title, 821 K in 2016, the money's different, you know, it's still a, a fortune in you know, $821,000. It's not the same as $5.3 million, but it is a win as opposed to the second place. So I'm just curious when, when you look back on, you know, the highlights of your career, which one do you kind of like rank as the, the bigger moment? Yeah, it's weird. I've been asked that and I honestly have no idea. Mm. I would, I mean, they're just so different, you know, uh, because one is like, I got to be like a champion of something, which is kind of right. cool. Um, but the other one is like, you know, our, our world championship. Sure. Um, so to speak. So I, I don't know. I, I, I just kind of view them both as wonderful little blips on like a timeline. Okay. I don't know. It's just, I, I really, I really couldn't tell you. Yeah. I don't think there's totally any right honest. answer there. Just, it was more of like a, you know, maybe there's yeah. a personal choice. Well, one, one thing I don't know if you've been asked before, you know, with either of those two specific uh, scores, did you have yeah. any sort of massive splurge that kind of still makes you smile till today uh, after winning those uh, winning and then you know the runner-up in, in those two events um i'm not sure I, I don't really splurge on much um i got to buy a house back where i grew up awesome um, yeah at the yeah and, and uh like my mom lives in it and uh that was like a really really good feeling amazing um, yeah she i mean my mom's just like always done like literally given us everything that she's had and so it was like nice to do something like that. Um, but uh, other than that, like, I don't really, I remember when I final tabled the main, people kept asking me like, what's the craziest thing you bought? And I was like, I bought like an iPad, man. Like, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't need, like, I like interacting with people. That makes me really happy. I don't, um, I mean, I definitely like doing, you know, upscale things. Like I eat really nice meals sometimes and I, I like food a lot, but I don't, yeah, I don't do a lot of crazy stuff like that. Um, I think like the the most splurgy thing was we bought a really high end bed, which okay. is like probably a great investment for your life. Yes. Anyways, yeah, it's important yeah. to get a good night's sleep. But I mean, look, buying your mom a home, and what what more do you need? That's such a beautiful thing, you know. That's that's an amazing thing. Yeah, um, that, I mean, I don't even. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, that was that was kind of like the goal I had in my head too. Was uh, I had a certain place where if I finished the main, I had a backer, so I was getting around half okay. of what I want, uh, minus taxes. So of course. Of course. <laughs> um, so I, I had this place at the final table in my head. Where I was like, all right, if we if we get to this place, um, we could buy a house. So that was kind of cool. Huge. Yeah, that's just a wonderful thing to have, you know, to do. And like you say, your mom lives there every single day. She gets to wake up in, that, you know, in a home like that. That's just a wonderful thing. Um, I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, you know, for those lucky enough to have met you, and I'm pretty sure those who've listened uh, thus far to the entirety of the podcast, you're known to be one of the most genuine, friendly players in our game. How important is it to you to bring positivity into poker? I think bringing positivity is a good way to put it. I, I think that's important to me. Um, I don't know. At the end of the day, like we are, the way the poker economy kind of works is, like we don't add a lot to poker professional poker players don't add a lot to like the utility of the world. Right. But we do provide this one sort of source of entertainment to people yep. um, who want to like show up and play a skill, like gamble and, and play a game that's, um, you know, highly competitive sure. and see how they do on that field. Um, and I think making that experience as fun as possible is important. And I think a lot of people neglect that. And, mm. you know, that's sad, but I'm also just kind of naturally a pretty outgoing person and I'm a pretty happy guy. So it's not like I'm exerting a lot of energy to do this or anything like that. So right. I, I don't know. Um, it's not like I deserve a lot of credit, you know, I'm just kind of going out there and mostly being me. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, I think I just generally, uh, 
kind of approach each person as you know like a new a new experience like somebody you know who could be interesting that I might end up being friends with or acquaintances with or at least like learn something new from them and like when you have that kind of approach it usually makes life a lot a lot more fun and um well, that's a great. That's a great quote. We'll put that as the tagline of this episode. That's a, that's a great approach, uh, you know, towards life in general. Um, you know, really on a related note, one of the questions we always love to ask, uh, you know, our interviewees here on the show is, who is the friendliest player you've ever had the pleasure of competing against at the felt? Oh man, I might have to think about that for a few minutes and come back to it. Uh-huh. We'll use the time chip. That's a tough one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> certainly one of my favorites, at least, though, is Athanasios. He's, he's a pretty good friend of mine now, too. Or he's a really good friend of mine now. Poly Kronopoulos, um, right? Yeah. He, I, I met him in the funniest way. Um, mm-hmm. Antonio Esfandiari kept telling me that I was the second nicest pl- poker player. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's yeah. a very Antonio line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He loves it. It's such an Antonio line. Um, and I was like, who's the nicest? And I didn't know it. The, the reason I said like pretty good friends now is because the Nasios guy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, screw that guy. <laughs> and he was like, that's why you're number two, buddy. <laughs> um, and then I met Athanasios and I told him that story and he gave me a high five when I said, screw that guy. So I was just like, oh, this guy really is the nicest. Uh, and he's like he's delightful at the table he's he's just an awesome dude um the first time i played with him he i was on a on a somewhat short stack and he had a ton of chips and he raised really large under the gun it was i remember it being like something i didn't expect at all from him he like forexed it and i had a hand that was pretty close um maybe we were near a bubble or something i i just remember i had a hand that was pretty close i would normally definitely play and I was like, I feel like this race size, like I was like really like trying to look into this race size. Like I feel like this race size, you know, from from a different type of player might be really strong, but from him, maybe he's just trying to look really strong or something like that. Um, I, I ended up folding and I asked him later what he had. And he was like, I don't know. I only looked at one card. <laughs> and that was like my introduction. Up in I just awesome. absolutely love the guy ever since. Great. That's a, that's a great story. Good name to put forth and lots of points in Scrabble for Athanasios Polychronopoulos. Um, he, uh, fun fact, he yeah. has the longest name of any bracelet winner. Ooh, I like yeah. that. Okay. I remember yeah. there was a um, Billy Pappas, you know, finished fifth in one of the main events. Uh, oh, yeah. William Papa Constantinou or something. Like, was like didn't win the bracelet, though. It was the foosball yeah, player. Yeah. yeah. No, he was, I, I was rooting for him. Um, I, I met him in between him making the final table and playing it out. He, he's from Massachusetts. So we yeah. kind of had a little bond there, but uh, uh, I talked to him a little bit like briefly, but I was rooting for him too, because he was the, was it like uh he was the foosball world champion. That's right. Yep. And I just thought it'd be really cool that he could be world champion in two things. <laughs> That'd be pretty wild. Very cool. Uh, what, one of the uh, things that, you know, you and I actually did speak before on a different podcast uh, a few years back, and we talked about the difference in atmosphere between tournaments and cash games. And you said cash games were generally more fun. Do you still feel that way? Uh, it's tough. I don't know. I think, like, if you want to say, like, the average time, um, cash games are, like, they have a more fun atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I think the day one of a tournament's fun. Everyone's hanging yeah. out day two. Everyone gets a little, a little quieter day three. Everyone's just like super hyper focused because sure. they want to win the tournament. Um, most of the time in a cash game, you're going to have a good time. People are, especially if you play like higher stakes at like you know, Bellagio or the Aria, the, the, the guys who have stuck around do a really good job of having, like creating a fun atmosphere and keeping it lighthearted. Um, obviously we're all trying to like beat each other out of, large sums of money of course but it's like you can still have a good time while you're doing it you know um and so i think that yeah the general atmosphere at a cash game is more fun but it's way more fun to win a tournament or to final table a tournament don't get me wrong (laughs) like that's i mean that's why we play tournaments right because right tournaments are a lot of pain 
with a little bit of payoff, but the mm-hmm. payoff is so good right? that we continue to play them. Yeah, well, that's a, yeah, another, another good quote, another good outtake there. Um, oh yeah, I got them all, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on, on sort of a related note about talking about like a good, you know, an, an inviting social atmosphere, but not necessarily at these high stakes. Um, I wanted to ask you, I mean, a place that both you and your fiance, Ashley, have had a lot of fun and success at has been Jason Somerville's Run It Up Reno series. Um, how important would you say series like those are with these lower buy-ins that are kind of like more approachable, I guess, for recreational players and, and people who are new to poker? Um, okay, so first of all, I think Ashley's had success. I don't know right. if I've had any success at these. I will, I will start off with We that. tried to be, okay, kudos on the honesty. Okay. I, I appreciate it. Every time we go out there, she final tables something, and yep. I seem to be watching from an iPad in the hotel room or something. <laughs> um, but the iPad that you bought with your winnings from being runner-up. Yes. Event. Okay. Fair yes. Fair. So let's let's keep that all in <laughs> okay. perspective. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, she, she lets me go and, and rail it live, so uh, I, I'm not in the hotel room. I'm actually okay. watching okay. from the, from the rail. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, what Jason has been doing is just unbelievable. Like, it's just so good for, for poker. He, he creates an atmosphere that's very inviting, I think, to, you know, people who are just getting into poker or who like poker, but it's not like their, their job per se. Um, it's just like, first of all, they create a really, really fun atmosphere yep. out there. The way that they design the games that they, you know, that they inevitably make tournaments out of and stuff. Um, just people's demeanor. Everything's just a lot of fun. Um, the stakes that they choose so that it's not, you know, completely unobtainable to sure. people who have always watched the stream and want to play some of these tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's I can't say enough good stuff about it. I, I love going out there. It's so much fun. Awesome. Uh, well, I yeah. I'll attend myself someday. I, I always you do. You pictures, need to come out. Yeah, I looked at those pictures. Oh, my God, that looked like fun. You know, and oh Reno. man, and Reno's really cool. I always yeah. thought I had never spent any time in Reno, and I always thought it was like a smaller, kind of dustier Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more like Las Vegas and Tahoe had a baby, sort of like <laughs> actual, you know, because it's near Tahoe. You have this beautiful lake. Sure. Um, there's actually vegetation and trees out there, which is really nice to see. Um, and the Pepper Mill is a really cool casino. I like it a lot. Nice. Uh, shout out yeah. to the Pepper Mill. Um, well, you know, let's talk a little bit uh, about your significant other, Ben Ashley. Uh, like you said, she's experienced a ton of success. She won the, the Thursday Thriller up there in 2019 for 24K. She recently won also uh, a Lips Tour event at the Venetian uh, for 15K. She's got, you know, she's got some, some skills here at over 300K in tournament earnings and a WSOP ring. You know, what's it like talking poker with, with your fiance and, you know, just the, having that shared passion together? It's awesome. Um, it's really nice to, like, understand each other on that level, you know. Um, if she had, you know, gone into more of a career in dance, she was part of a dance company out of Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um but let's say that she continued on with that. That would just be something that I would understand very surface level. But with this, I understand on a very, very deep level. Like for instance, I understand exactly why she's feeling bad after she busts out of the tournament. Not just that she's feeling bad that she busted out, but like maybe she's feeling bad because like there was a spot where she had been working on it and then she didn't pull the trigger on executing mm. the way that she had studied or something. You know what I mean? Like that's a, it's a much deeper level to understand a person and how their day went. And, uh, and you've so that's really been cool. there yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Too many times with <laughs> not pulling the trigger after working on a spot. Um, but yeah, I think I, I really enjoy it. I, I wasn't like planning to teach Ashley poker uh, when we met. She knew nothing about poker. Wow. I had tried to teach a girl or two that I was dating in the past poker and it went kind of poorly. And uh, she, she was very, actually is very analytically intelligent, but she's also got a, a very strong um, right brain creative side. Uh-huh. And so good combination. You know, I always, I always love that yeah. part. What's that? Good combination for the poker table. Yeah, certainly. But I always love that she, you know, aired towards doing things with her, you know, the creative side, mm-hmm. the artistic side. Um, 
And then when she moved out to Vegas, all we talked about out here was poker and all of our friends are poker players. So she wanted to learn just to know what we were talking about. You know, it's a different language. Cool. When you start, when you start describing hand histories. Sure. Um, and then that turned into like her playing a bit online. And then that turned into her quitting her retail job that she had out here and, uh, you know, playing poker and so on and so forth. So Sweet. it was, it was a really cool evolution. I didn't see coming. And, um, you know, it, it only really happened because Ashley's super smart and mm-hmm. really competitive and those things are great to have when you're a poker player. Do you guys study together or do you kind of study in different ways and have, like you said, have some people are visual learners, some people learn in different ways or, you know, you know what, what is your methods? No, we definitely, we work together. Okay. For sure. Um, yeah, we, we had a time period where it's tough. It's, it's weird having a dynamic um, because for a lot of time, for a lot of, you know, the time that she was getting better, obviously I was a lot better than her. Right. Um, and so it, it's a weird dynamic to be, you know, have your partner, uh, also be kind of like your coach or whatever. Um, sure. and so we actually asked a friend, um, who I think is one of the best poker players I know, um, if he was interested in working with her and coaching her and he did it for a while. Um, and that was really cool because, uh, you know, we, like, we, we, we really approached this from the idea of, you know, we don't, we don't want like a, a poker relationship to change like our relationship, of course, I guess. Of course. Um, and so she worked with somebody else for a little while and that was kind of cool. Um, and then I don't know, inevitably it just kind of shifted back to us working together, which has been really great, but, um, Fantastic. I definitely don't think like it's a, it's like a static thing where you always want to do one or the other. I think that you, you know, you kind of want to like go with the flow and that sort of stuff because there are like very, very odd dynamics that come from relationships um, outside of poker and then in poker for sure. I can imagine. That's an interesting perspective <laughs> uh, from which to be speaking um, on perhaps a more lighter note, just, you know, talking relationship rather than, uh, then the poker itself, obviously, both both of you guys, you're fans of traveling. Uh, there's a ton of great pictures of you guys on Instagram. Now that travel's kind of becoming a thing, are you excited to visit a certain place again, or or for the first time? Do you have like a favorite place uh, you want to tell us uh, tell us all about? Um, yeah, my favorite place to travel for poker by far is Melbourne, Australia, um, or Melbourne, as they Melbourne. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just it's amazing. It's summer there during our winter. Mm-hmm. Um, they have un- like they have the best breakfast in the world out there. <laughs> every every breakfast spot just takes so much pride in creating this food. It's it's nice. unbelievable. They have some of the best coffee I've ever had. I'm, I'm really really into coffee. Actually, that was something that me and Ashley bonded on when we first met. Was that uh, really? we both had a yeah, we had both dated people who didn't like coffee in the past, and we were just <laughs> like you, you just know it's it's doomed it's a doomed relationship. If, if you're wow. that, if you're as into coffee as we are, and you know, the other person isn't you're like, cause I think sitting together in the morning and having coffee is like a big part of a, you know what I mean? Amazing. Well, this you know, podcast is brought to you by Starbucks. So <laughs> I can't No, but anyways, the, the, the coffee is, is insane out there. Um, uh, Australian open is happening during the Aussie yeah. aliens. Yeah. And uh, that's really fun. I love tennis. Going to matches is really fun. They create this whole uh, sort of like, it's almost like a playground around the tennis courts. And there's like, there's different little, you know, drink stands to go to and foods, uh, almost like food trucks, but just like stands. Um, And you, you know, you can go into like a match and then go back out, out of the stadium and hang out in this other area. They have like, they lay down AstroTurf everywhere. So you can lay out like having a picnic or something and watch matches on these big billboards. It's so much fun. Um, the food out there is unbelievable outside of breakfast as well. People are really cool. They're just very like laid back in general, the mm-hmm. Aussies. Um, I don't know. I just, it's, it's unbelievable out there. So hopefully uh, that'll come back on the tournament circuit soon. You know, when things calm down over there, obviously international travel is a little bit impaired uh, at the moment still, but I'm sure that'll be uh, circled on everyone's calendar once Aussie millions comes back and once we're able to fly there. So now I've got, you know, I've got, you know, two things I've learned. I've got to go visit Reno and I've got to go visit Melbourne for the first time uh, as well. Um, 
yeah but these are these are really good things you have to do like as far as uh tasks we'll get there right yeah, exactly right you know <laughs> if, if this is what i haven't done you know i've, I've done plenty already so that's a good feeling that's yeah. true um, leaning in here, we're almost at the uh, community questions segment. But first, I got to ask you, you know, we're big fans of mixed games here in the Cards Chat community as well. And you've had a few decent caches in mixed game play over the years. According to your hand in mob, we checked it out. Uh, 2013, you had a, a, a cash in WSFP Horse. Uh, 2015, you cashed in the 1500 Dealer's Choice. Uh, 2017 at Run It Up Reno, you had second place there also in the Norse event. What's Norse? What's the end for? Uh, instead of Limit Hold'em, they threw No Limit Hold'em in the mix. Ooh, so it was, it's Horse with No Limit Hold'em instead of Limit. It's, uh, it was really fun, actually. Uh, huh. You have to you have to make the blinds a lot lower for No Limit Hold'em. Or yeah. <laughs> way the biggest game. But. That tremendous like uh, variance there all of a sudden to throw a No Limit game uh, with the other four. That's interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, how, they, I mean, they do it in eight game with PLO and, and no right. hold them. And it's, uh, you just have to get the stakes right or else it's a disaster uh, mm. for the limit games, I guess. But it's it's a lot of fun when you throw a couple of those in for sure. Make sure you get that chainsaw Kessler approved structure there. Um, how often do you dabble uh, in, in the mixed game streets? Not that often. To be honest, like, I wanted to get really good at the mixed games. I want to give myself more bracelet opportunities. I thought, you know, there'd be a lot of cool spots to just play like a big cash game. Mm. Um, there's just, it's hard. It's hard to learn the games, first of all. Yeah. You know, there's just so many of them and they're very different. Um, so like from a, from an actual like study, trying to get really elite standpoint, they're quite difficult. Um, but more importantly, I, I realized like, I love playing those games. They're so much fun. Yeah, but I didn't really. They, they weren't. Some of those games aren't games that I felt the need to be super good at. I was very happy playing the fifteen hundred dealers choice events and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, those are really fun, and you know, to try to like work my way up and be playing like all the ten k ones. I didn't know if it was like my first and foremost thing that I wanted to do in my life. Mm. There were other things I wanted to work on, um, but yeah, I, I think. I mean, we we would literally have nights at home after playing a tournament all day where we would drink wine and play mixed games, like three or four of us. Awesome. So I think they're just crazy fun to play. Um, and just because I like them so much, I generally figure games out to some extent strategically uh -huh. just because I like them so much and I'm thinking about them a lot. Um, so yeah, I, I, uh, I definitely dabble, but I would say dabble is as far as it goes. That's, that's totally fair. Well, I think you have the right approach there. It's, you know, about having fun. I can attest the one bracelet event I've ever played. The first one, and, you know, hopefully I'll play a little bit more soon, was that $1,500 dealer's choice, uh, you know, so, and I, I made it through half the field, so I felt great. But, you know, like you said, it's just uh, a lot of fun, even in a, in a bracelet event, you know, relatively low buy-in for a bracelet event, but you get that fun vibe of people who just enjoy the games, who's going to call what, why is everyone calling Bidusi? You know that that whole deal. Um, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a secret that I don't give up. But uh, okay, well you heard it here, guys. Is, we got a card check podcast exclusive. I don't know if they still do this in the structure, but in the dealer's choice event, so the way it works is it's six handed, and every you know one out of six orbits, you get to pick the game. Yep. Um, there's like a second second button that goes around for who mm -hmm. chooses the game. Right. Um, the way they had it structured would be that no limit hold'em. Um, the antes that everyone had to put up because back then it wasn't big blind ante um, was about a quarter of the big blind. So you're anteing, you know, well more than a big blind. Um, and then on top of that, every time I would call no limit out as a game, uh, everyone would basically groan yeah. and tell me that, yeah, it'd be like, you, you just doing? take the blinds. We don't care. You can have the blinds and then we'll just play our games. But right. the thing was, was like, I might be a dog in every other game, but if I can just win the blinds and antes, uh, one out of, you know, for an entire orbit, like one out of six orbits, like I'm going to go deep in the tournament almost every time. I just have to play tight in the other games, which is fine with me because I don't really know what I'm doing anyways. Um, so I end up, I think I like final three or four tables that tournament. Um, and when we got down to like the final three or four tables, I remember having this thought, like, I can't win this tournament. Huh. I, I'm drawing dead to winning this tournament because 
when we get three or four handed, they're going to start calling out games like Raz Doogie. Yep. And I can't play Raz Doogie. Like I can't, even, I have no idea what I'm doing. So like, I, I've never been in a tournament where I just feel like I'm drawing dead to win the tournament. Wow. Um, it was a strange feeling, but interesting. But that's maybe, an interesting little lucky. tip there. I mean, like from a strategic standpoint to like, you know, make it through ladder up a little bit. I like it. But I would be groaning too. I mean, there's so many other no limit Holton tournaments on schedule. But I hear you. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, but I felt like uh, in my mind it was like I'm giving enough equity to the field by playing this thing in the first place. You can give me a little back by letting me call no limit. You know what I I mean? I love it. I love it. Like I used to play the – I was trying to learn mix more. So when I bust out of tournaments, I would play uh, either 1020 or – sorry, either 2040 or 4080 – limit mix games mm-hmm. in the cash room at the Rio. And I would, I would sit down, I would tell them like, look guys, like, like I'll play your game and I will lose money in the game, but you have to tell me what I'm doing wrong after each hand. And they're like, okay, deal. And after they saw me play like five hands, like this is easily worth it for us. Okay. And I was happy because I was learning or whatever, but right. And like you say, I usually, I usually know. Vibe, so. Yeah. I usually know when I'm the fish and I'm like, I want to get a little rake back out of this. You're going to give me some info or something. <laughs> a great attitude. I love it. <laughs> love yeah, the yeah. honesty. Well, in this segment of the show, we now turn to you guys, our Cards Chat community, to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. We have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. And the first questions come from Shells. Thank you very much, Shells. Um, Jesse, what or who influenced you to pursue poker full-time. I know you kind of mentioned you played games as a kid. Was there any specific individual involved? Um, I mean, I guess I watched like rounders with my dad and talked about poker a little bit, but it was more like when you watch rounders, you think that poker is just looking at your opponent and knowing what they have. And <laughs> obviously that's not, I mean, that's a tiny part of it, but that's it's the not Oreo cookie. Is the other yeah, part. yeah, oh, yeah. Right. I mean, there are moments where you'll figure stuff out about a guy. I've, I've got some pretty strong libraries on people, but um, it's certainly like the last three percent of the game, right? Not the first 97 percent. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'd probably watch rounders and talk to my dad a little bit about that, but I think really it was like watching uh, Moneymaker win was the first moment because that was the first time I really saw televised poker. Interesting. Um, I remember vividly, I was in my friend's basement and they were talking about like the odds and um, they didn't really say ranges back then, but they would kind of talk about like what hands they could have. And it just, uh, all of a sudden it made sense to me. It was like this very analytical approach to the game, which, Mm. I mean, I'm just extremely uh, like left brain analytically Mm -hmm. uh, intelligence based. I don't know how to say it, but uh, that made a lot of sense to me. I couldn't, I couldn't look at people and figure out what they had. I tried and it didn't work. Um, so yeah, that was, that was like the aha moment. And then I immediately made my friend and his little brother and his dad all play poker with me. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, I just kept playing and my, my friends would have games in like their garage or whatever. And mm-hmm. I was playing that and then I uh, went off to college and, uh, realized that I could use a debit card to put money on the poker site online. So I started ah. doing that. Yeah. realized that the casinos out there were 18 and up some of them. So I started driving like two and a half hours each way to go to the casino. Yep. Yeah. Just cool. a lot of uh, being obsessed with games and doing whatever I could to play them to play poker. Nice. Next question from shells is a little bit related. Do you have a, a favorite casino or poker room to visit? Um, so that, I guess I have a few because they all, mean something different to me. So the Bellagio has always been kind of my home. Since I moved to Vegas, I played most most of my cash games there. Um, I know the people who work the, actually, I have some really good friends who work the, you know, the room, um, like the podium, we call it, like mm-hmm. the floor people. Sure, sure. Um, in a couple other rooms. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I've just known the people who work at the Bellagio the longest. I, I, have, I just like love seeing them. Um, I know all the regulars of the Bellagio. I've been playing with them for like the last eight years. Uh, It just feels like very much like a second home in the Bellagio. Um, As far as casinos go, I really like, so I love Crown Casino in in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a huge one for me. That's a great casino. They take really good care of people who, you know, come out for that tournament from the Mm -hmm. U.S. They know we've traveled a long way and they're, they're really good about accommodating us. Um, 
in particular, there's uh, one person there, Haley, who does an outstanding job, just like always helping me with little things. I don't know. Um, uh, I like the the Seminole uh, Hard Rock in Florida, yeah. um, in um, Fort La Fort Lauderdale, right? Yeah, yeah Fort Lauderdale. Uh, I, I almost said West Palm Beach because Ashley grew up in West Palm Beach, and we go to West <laughs> Palm Beach and hang out with her family whenever we go go there. But uh, but yeah, I like that casino a lot. Um, I don't know where it ranks on like a list of casinos, but I just, it has a lot of things that I personally like in a casino that a lot of casinos don't have. Like it has windows. feels nice to yes. like look at the outside world when you're. And, and um, Fort Lauderdale is pretty beautiful. You know, a lot of good. Yeah, it's beautiful. Stuff. A lot of very nice scenery there. They usually have a series in like February or April or sometime when it's not particularly warm other places and it's great there and you hang out by the pool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm probably missing a bunch. There's a ton of casinos throughout the country that are like beautiful casinos that, uh, you know, you just might not travel to. Like, I remember we went to Cherokee. Mm -hmm. uh, we were just on a road trip back to Massachusetts from Vegas, and we stopped at Cherokee right when they were having a, a circuit series thing. Mm -hmm. And that casino is amazing. It's, in it's just North like Carolina, out in the mountains. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. I believe so. Uh, one of the Carolinas. Yeah, <laughs> probably the north one. Yeah, that's interesting. You, know, route you took back to Las Vegas from from Massachusetts. That nice. Well, yeah. Well, we do the southern route sometimes and dip into Florida and see Ashley's family. Oh, okay, you know, nice. Cool. Back up, right. yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, we. Uh, sorry, I, I haven't enough coffee. I should know where Cherokee is. To be honest, the, I'm a little <laughs> embarrassed. But what can you do? All good. All good. And I know. So there's yeah, there's a, there's a lot of spots I like for different reasons, essentially. So it's hard to pick, but. Those are some that I, I really enjoyed and thought they were really nice places. Right. Well, I know that Cherokee one. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure North Carolina, I know they do a, a WSOP circuit. They give away rings there. So, uh, you know, I'm aware of that one. Um, oh, oh let me say, uh, oh, sure. I don't want to I don't want to miss them. The Wind Poker Room. They're, they've okay. been running phenomenal okay. tournament series. They've been doing a really great job. They're, they're awesome. And the Wind's obviously like, I mean, if it's not the best casino in Vegas, it's, it's always in the argument. You know, the Wind's unbelievable. Shout out to the win. That's a Ryan Borg God runs that room, yeah? Um, yes, yeah. I believe so. Cool. Very good. Sorry, nice I don't I don't want to say that. I don't want to be incorrect about okay. that. Okay, that's fair. Gotta answer <laughs> that. Um, our next uh, question asker and submitter, uh, Acid Burn FX, longtime listeners of the show, knows that uh, this Acid Burn FX knows how to ask some very interesting questions. Hope you're ready for them, Jesse. First one, if you had to teach something, what would you teach? Like outside of poker or? That wasn't specified, but take it wherever you'd like. So I, I teach poker a lot and I'd probably just pick that because uh, you know I think I'm decent at it. I spent a lot of time doing it. Mm -hmm. um, if I weren't to teach poker, I don't know, maybe something with just like a, I don't really like the term like life coach, but Ooh. something like around um, helping people just like set up their lives in the best possible way, just, just based on like the things I've done right and the things I've done wrong and made a lot of mistakes in life. Um, but I've learned a lot from like some of the smarter people around me about just setting up like the most um, simplified, automated life possible and, and making it as um, stress-free as possible. I like that. You only have one to live, so might as well uh, make it the best you can. I like that. Good answer. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of good books on stuff like that, so it's not like um, they would need me for that. But the, I mean, I've definitely taken some excerpts out of books that I think are really good. Okay. Uh, second question, second and final question from Acid Burn FX. Um, there's a bit of a you know brain twister here. Would you rather lose all of your old memories? or never be able to make new ones? Hmm. Yeah, that's tricky. Um, so basically I can't remember anything from this point on or uh, I can only remember stuff from the past. I think I would, I think I would have to take the second, the um, remembering new things because mm -hmm. you just can't really operate like people who have amnesia can go about their lives and do things. Right. But like, if you, if you can't remember like what happened 20 seconds ago, like a memento type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You just like, can't really operate in the world. So I, I, I guess I'd have to go with the second thing. 
I like the, I was looking forward to your answer on that one because like you said, you're a very left brain analytical. So I was curious, like what sort of wheels are turning in there to, to know how to answer that one properly. Interesting answer. Yeah. Um, Crystals has a few questions for you before we wrap up the show. Um, thank you very much, Crystals. Uh, Jesse, how do you and the other members of Team Floptimal come up with your charts? Um, so we've been using Munker Solver. Uh, Munker Solver is a, I, I guess, toy game solver. You, you basically give it a bunch of inputs. Um, for instance, in Munker, we give it bet sizes, both pre-flop and post-flop. And it runs through the entire game tree several times. So based on the sizes that we give it, it runs every possible, you know, raise, re-raise, you know, every permutation um, that could, of, of betting events that could happen. And then it looks at how every possible hand plays in those betting events. And then it looks at like the profitability of playing one way versus the other. Um, and then it like eventually comes up with, with an answer that is you should do this pre-flop with this hand, or maybe you should do two different things, but at this frequency, um, these programs are, well, they're, they're definitely difficult to use. They take, well, they're not, they take a lot of time learning the programs, um, learning all the little intricacies of writing a good uh, tree up. Um, but they also take a long time to solve. So we have a very, very powerful computer that we spent a bunch of money to build. Some people actually just ran out server space. Um, oh, wow. Some of these server companies because uh, wow. you can't fit that much um, in, a, in a physical computer. So you actually want to rent out servers sometimes for this stuff. But uh, even then it takes some of these, some of these ranges take, you know, six to eight weeks uh, to Ooh, run. That's so yeah, it takes a tremendous amount of computing power uh, and time and money and effort. Uh, but you end up getting solutions to something that you otherwise just wouldn't have the full answer to. Right. And at the end, it's not a cost as much as it is an investment because it'll obviously make you better at what you do. So uh, yeah, for sure. makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, I, I paid, I paid a lot of money for uh, ranges before we started creating our own ranges. I like, I like our ranges more. I think, you know, I'm, I'm obviously biased, but I think that we, um, we did a lot of good stuff with choosing certain, certain inputs. Mm -hmm. Um, but I paid a lot of money for ranges in the past, uh, to use as study tools because it's absolutely worth it for me, at least to, to have that information. Uh, second question from crystals. What was the hardest part about, about making it through all of the days leading up to the final table of the 2012 WSOP main event? The sleep, 100%. Um, I just, every day I would get like an hour less of sleep. So, you know, going into day six, I probably got like five, five and a half hours. Going into day seven, probably got like four hours. That's um, I actually got more sleep at the final table between the, between the first day and the second day, probably because making the final table was such a big thing to me. Yeah. Um, and so playing it out was obviously like, it's, it's even bigger because you can win and there's the pay jumps are so much larger, but yeah. uh, it was almost like a relief to make the final table. Mm. That was, that was one of my like big goals in life or whatever is the final table to me. Interesting. Second to last question here from crystals. Um, you made a deep run at the win millions this year, as we discussed earlier in the show. Well, um, what stood out to you about this specific 10K event versus other 10K events you may have played, like, you know, the U.S. Poker Open or something like that? Um, I mean, this one was a lot bigger. And uh, it's, I mean, I, I guess kind of what I talked about, uh, how well run it was earlier. Um, that stood out to me, how they just paid a lot of attention to detail and a ton of things. And they, they really made it a, a nice tournament for people to play. It was very comfortable. Mm -hmm. The way they, they timed out days and stuff was great. Yeah. Um, from like a tournament standpoint, it was a big field. Mm. Um, so that always stands out to me because the more days uh, we go, the the more excited you get and less sleep you get each day. Yeah. Um, this tournament was actually nice for me because it was one of the first tournaments, especially at 10K, where I went deep that I got all the sleep I needed. Um, I just somehow I ended every day as like a short stack. Uh, so I, I just went to bed like and slept like a baby. Cause I was like, I'll probably be out the, you know, the first level of the next right. day. 
And then I would just kind of like, like stick around. I ran really good in all ins. I don't think I won a pot day three or day four that wasn't an all in. It was, (laughs) it was, it was the kind of, the kind of tournament that'll really, you know, bang on your ego a little bit because you just feel like a luck box who's just winning all ins and not winning any other pots. But, but realistically, I think I was playing most pots reasonably well. I just Uh was being unlucky in the other pots, but um, yeah. So I, I, it was definitely uh, nice for once to play a tournament where I got some sleep. Nice. Nice. Well, that's definitely yeah. a theme uh, in your answers. The uh, I never, I never got that excited. Like I was going to win it, you know, cause I had such a small percentage of the chips in play every day. Hmm. Um, and I was short. That's and then the, yeah. And then day four, when we get down to like 25 or something, I won some all ins and all of a sudden I have like above average stack. And I was like, Oh my God, we could actually win this tournament. Right. And then I immediately lost two huge pots and was out. It was like, all right. <laughs> Stick with great. what works. Stay on the short yeah. step. <laughs> um, final question for you, Jesse. And again, thanks so much for, for sticking with us this entire time here. What uh, From Crystals, what do you think you'll enjoy more in 10 years from now? Playing poker or creating training courses and content? I like this question. Um, I mean, I think I'll always... Probably, I, I really enjoyed the process of creating training content. Um, like it's it's something new and it's really fun, um, and it's very different. So it's hard to compare. But I imagine, you know, just that 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 comfortable feeling of sitting down and playing poker will always be. That's always one of my favorite feelings in life, in general. Um, so I'd probably go with that. Okay, well, but that's... I mean, they're they're also very different things, and I've it's been very fulfilling learning more about, you know, creating a business and all nice. the ins and outs of that. Nice. Well, I, I know that it's been very fulfilling knowing and learning a little bit more about you. So first of all, I want to thank everyone who sent in questions for you, Jesse, for Jesse Sylvia, uh, a friendly reminder to everyone out there in the Cards Chat community. We would love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread in the forums and please be sure to give us a good review on itunes or wherever else you catch this show and spread the word via your social media channels if you liked it jesse before we let you go anything else you'd like to tell our listeners or people watching um just whatever you do at the poker table have fun Mm. i see people get so mad when they take a bad beat or get frustrated when they're card dead like go out and have fun like I, i i've seen people who are competing at the highest level of this game and most of those guys are having a lot of fun at the table. Like, and if you can do it in that sort of a high anxiety environment, I think you can do it anywhere. And like, we got into this thing to have fun. So make sure you're enjoying it. Awesome. Love it. Great advice uh, from a great guy. Jesse, thank you very much once again. And thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Cards Chat Podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.